But it's good to be together this morning. Uh, if you're new around here, we want to welcome you again. My name is Ben. I'm the lead pastor here. We're glad you could be with us. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 3 this morning. So if you want to grab your Bibles or follow along on the screen, 1 Samuel chapter 3, as we continue our way through the book of 1 Samuel, we're going to look at just the, ver- the first 10 verses. We'll cover the whole chapter, but we're just going to read the first 10. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Hear the reading of God's word. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and he went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord said, and st- or came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I want to tag our text today, Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. Let's pray before we look at the word. Father, thank you for all that we're celebrating today, uh, for your word that has gone forth and borne much fruit. As you say in your word, it will never return void. And so, Lord, as, as we celebrate today uh, the beginning of a new church, we rejoice in how your word continues to be living and active. Your word continues to be the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so, Lord, we pray today as we look at your word for just the next few moments that you would do that again. Continue to transform our hearts, shape us, form us into the image of Christ that we might bring you glory. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. George Walton was born in 1907, and he was known in his circles for his rare coin collection. One of his most prized possessions was a 1913 Liberty Head nickel. It was one of only five ever minted. And he uh, actually paid $3,700 for this coin in 1945. And he told his family when he bought the coin, which was a lot of money back then, he said, I want you to hold on to this when I'm gone because this is going to be worth a fortune one day. And sure enough, you know, uh, unfortunately and, and tragically, he passed away unexpectedly in 1962 and he left his coin collection to the family And when they brought in experts to examine his coin collection, they actually deemed that nickel as fake. 
So these experts, they, they looked at it, they said, this looks like a fake, there's no value here, let's put it to the side. So they actually took that coin, put it in a little shoebox, and put it in the, the closet at the, family's at the family's house, and uh, it sat in that closet for 41 years, 41 years. And then later on, his nephew named Ryan, he actually inherited the coin next, and Ryan uh, heard through uh, the news that there was actually a show going on that they were going to uh, kind of show off the five nickels, the 1913 Liberty Head nickels, but they only had four. And they said if someone could produce the fifth nickel, they would get a million dollar prize. And so he thought, well, this is my chance. So they call in the experts and now this new team of experts examines the nickel and they deem this is real. This is the real deal. Get this. He then sells it for $3.1 million. Could you imagine in your closet right now, collecting dust in an old shoebox might be a coin worth $3.1 million. Probably not, but... But for them, could you, could you imagine the shock and the surprise that, that someone 41 years before told them this was worth only five cents, but it was worth $3 million? See, if something is truly rare, it has value even if it's not acknowledged. Even if someone else says this has no value, it still has value. Which brings us to our text today. We're continuing through 1 Samuel, and uh, if you're joining with us for the first time, or maybe you're new to the Bible, uh, the book of 1 Samuel starts in a time period in Israel's history that is called the Age of the Judges. And the Age of the Judges, if you read the book of Judges, is basically this cycle over and over again where people do what's right in their own eyes. In other words, it was chaos. It was straight moral chaos, political chaos. It was chaos everywhere. And into that chaos comes this story of a woman named Hannah. And Hannah, we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks, was a woman who, who didn't have a lot of notoriety or fame or anything. She was just a regular old woman who prayed. And when she prayed, things happened. In fact, when she prayed, it changed the whole course of their nation's history because Hannah prayed. She took her chaos and her pain and her difficulty, she brought it before God, and she prayed, and God heard her prayer, and he gave her a son. And the son's name is Samuel. And so now the story is turning away from Hannah, and it's turning towards Samuel. And what happens is you see in Hannah's story a heavy emphasis on the first means of grace, which is prayer, and now another essential means of grace, maybe the, the core foundational essential means of grace, if you will, is the Word of God. And right into this chaos, into this messed up situation, we have the Word of the Lord. But what does the text say? It says the Word of the Lord was rare. The Word of the Lord was rare. And in Hebrew, that word rare means precious. So it's kind of this double meaning. What, what happens is, in a negative sense, the Word of the Lord is rare, which means the people had turned away from the Lord. They didn't want to listen to Him. They didn't care about Him. They were doing what was right in their own eyes. So that's the negative side. It's rare, but here's the positive. It's still precious. It's still precious. And even if no one else will acknowledge it, God's Word is precious. And what does God do in the midst of chaos? He sends His word. He sends his word. This is what's, I mean, it mirrors our time, right? 
It mirrors our time where the word of the Lord is rare. It's rare. There's a sense in our culture right now where, just like the book of Judges, everyone does what's right in their own eyes. It's, it's moral chaos. There, 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 at one point in our culture, there, there was at least a sense of objective truth. Now, there was all kinds of oversights and all kinds of terrible things that still happen. We won't go into that right now. But at least there was a sense of objective truth that you could point to something outside of yourself that was true, not inside yourself. But now it's shifted. And whatever is right in your own eyes is right. And whatever is right in my own eyes is right. And so my truth is my truth, your truth is your truth, and it's chaos. It's chaos. But what does God do in the midst of that kind of chaos? He always does the same thing. He sends his word. He sends his word. I mean, that's why we plant churches. That's why we're celebrating today. We're we're, we're planting a church in Bartow to send the word of God to a people that need the word of God. The people in Bartow, the people in Lakeland, the people in Winter Haven, all over Polk County, we need the Word of God. Because the Word of God is what brings renewal. And so how does it bring renewal? That's what we're looking at today. I want to look at how the Word of God brings renewal. So first, if you're taking notes this morning, first we have to hear the Word. Hearing the Word. Now, the story of Samuel's calling, which is what this text is most known for, begins in the house of God. And the setting is kind of strange because it's dark. It's dark. It starts off by describing Eli, the high priest, as growing old and his eyesight is growing dim. In other words, there's not a lot of light coming into his eyes. Everything's starting to get dark and cloudy and he, he can't really see very well. And then it describes the setting in the tabernacle and it says the lamp of the Lord was about to go out, but it hadn't yet gone out. And so the, the scene is, is dark and the, the lights are dim, but there's still a little bit of light. There's still a little bit of hope. The candles are flickering, but there's still a little bit of light. And then into that darkness, there's a voice. And this voice comes to a young boy by the name of Samuel. We're not told exactly his age, but the word that's used is somewhere in the age of 10 or 12. It's kind of that preteen age. He's a young boy and he hears this voice. Look at what happens in verse 4. It says, then the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. Now Samuel hears the voice of God, but he doesn't recognize it, right? Samuel was just a young boy. He's working in the temple. He's, he's hanging out of the temple with Eli, his boss, the high priest. And, and uh, he, he's there and he hears this voice, but he doesn't think it's God's voice. He thinks it's Eli's voice. And so what does he do? He goes and he goes to Eli and just like an obedient young man, he says, here I am. What do you want? Eli says, nothing. Go back to bed. That's where the parents say, amen. Right? You've been in those nights, right? Go to bed. But then it happens multiple times. Samuel hears the voice of the Lord. He wakes up and he goes to Eli and he says, here I am. What do you need? And Eli says, go back to bed. And then he comes up, you know, it happens again and again. The Lord calls, Samuel hears, Eli sends him back. And then after the third time, Eli realizes this is not a night with bad nightmares. The Lord is calling him. The word of the Lord had come to their chaos into that moment. And so he says to to Samuel, he says, "If, if the Lord calls you again, here's what you need to do. 
You need to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And this is what happens. Look at verse 10. It says, And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. See, for years, the word of the Lord had not been given. Like, it was rare. They, they didn't see it. They didn't hear it. There was not this interaction with God speaking to them. And now God speaks into this moment. And more than God speaking, what we see is Samuel is actually listening. He's actually listening. He is ready to receive the word when it's spoken. See, listening is the posture of receiving. Listening is the posture of receiving. Uh, Earlier this year, I had the opportunity to actually coach my twin daughter's basketball game at the YMCA, or not not just the game, the whole season. This is how it worked. I showed up to the first practice as the first parent, and they said, congratulations, you're the coach. (laughs) And the guy actually asked me, have you ever played basketball? I said, well, I used to a long time ago. Well, good, you'll be great. So now all of a sudden I'm the coach, and, I, and, and as much as I love basketball and, and love to watch basketball, play basketball, I don't have very much experience coaching basketball. I had many years before, but it had been a long time, and so how hard can it be to coach seven to nine-year-olds, right? How hard can that be? A little tougher than you think. And so I, I show up to the practice, and I realize quickly it's going to take some work just to teach them how to dribble how to pass, how to shoot, how to stand on the court without like doing cartwheels and, and you know, trying to punch each other or something. Like that. just keeping them focused. And one of the hardest lessons we had to teach them at practice was this, how to catch the ball. I thought it'd be harder to like shoot the ball, but no, how, how to actually catch the ball. Because what I noticed about the seven-year-olds was they're looking over here, they're looking over there, they're running the opposite direction, they are not prepared to catch the ball, and so the ball would just hit them, or the ball would go past them. They're not paying attention. So we literally had to spend 20 minutes one practice just telling them, eyes forward, hands out, get ready. Get ready to receive the pass. It's the same with the Word of God. With the Word of God, what happens is you have to be in a position, in a posture, ready to receive what God is saying. Because God is speaking, right? God is already speaking to us in His Word. Eugene Peterson says it this way. He says, the the miracle of our faith is not so much that God exists. That's beautiful and we love that He exists. But the real miracle is that He speaks. That He speaks because imagine if God existed but never told us. Imagine if God, the creator of the universe, the provider of all things, the one who sustains and, and, and overcomes all things, he, he existed but never told you. This God speaks. He speaks into your life. He speaks into his creation and says, this is what I'm like. This is who I am. This, let me reveal to you my character, my attributes, who I am. And let me also reveal to you who you are because I've made you in my image. And if you want to know who you are, let me speak to you. Because God has spoken. He isn't silent. He speaks. The question is, are we in a posture to receive? Are we in a posture to receive what he says? See, listening is active. Husbands, you're paying attention? Listening is active. It it takes intentionality to listen to what the other person is saying so that I can receive what they are saying to me. 
So how do you do that practically? Let's get real practical. I want to give you four steps in Scripture. Four steps. You ready? Number one, pause. Pause. Whatever you're doing when you come to Scripture, just pause for a moment and stop doing whatever you're doing. Turn off your phone, turn off the TV, turn off your headphones, whatever you got going on. Just pause for a moment and just be with God. It's so hard in our world of distractions to not be trying to multitask and doing 10 different things at once, but if you can just pause for a moment and let God speak without any other competition, it'll transform your time in Scripture. So the first step is to pause. The next thing is to just read. Right? You might follow a Bible reading plan. Uh, maybe you're trying to read through the Bible in a year, or you've got short passages that you're, you're praying about or looking at, whatever it may be, but you could take just a, a small portion of Scripture and you just read it. Read it slowly. Take your time. Look at what's happening. Listen to what's happening. Notice what's happening in Scripture and read for God speaking to you. But now the third thing is Reflect. So don't just read it. Take some time to actually reflect. In Hebrew, the word for meditate means to chew the cud. It's this sense of like a cow would. You're you're chewing it over and over and over again, and you're you're kind of mulling over it, chewing it slowly until you get it. That's what it means to meditate or reflect in the scriptures is you're going to to ponder it. You're going to think, what does this mean for me? What is God saying? How, How does this point me to Jesus? All these things. You start to ponder it. And reflect as you read. But the last thing is to pray. It's to pray. right? In God's word, he speaks to us. In prayer, we speak to him. That, that's what happens. We respond to God speaking first. God always speaks first. And then we respond in our prayer. But your prayer doesn't have to be uh, you know, Bible language. It doesn't need to sound like it comes from the King James Version. It, it can literally just be you sharing your heart with God. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like a child. And children, they, they just say what's on their mind. They just pray and, and talk to their father. This is what it looks like to genuinely pray as you respond to the scriptures. God has spoken. Now I speak. Those four things. Pause, read, reflect, pray. That, that puts you in a posture to receive. But when you receive the word of God, what do, you, what do you do with it? And this is the second point I want to look at, engaging the word, engaging the word. Look at verse 11 with me. It goes on like this. After Samuel hears the voice of the Lord, look what happens in verse 11. It says, Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli and all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. Now we got to back up a minute because we skipped chapter two right before this, where we, we found out that Eli's house was in spiritual disaster. So Eli's sons had basically rebelled against God, and as priests in the Eli in the priesthood family, they had corrupted the priesthood. They turned the priesthood into some kind of uh, you know, way to take advantage of the people. And so now uh, God came to Eli and said, hey, if your sons are going to live in this corrupt way and corrupt my priesthood, there's going to be judgment. And what's even worse than the corruption that was happening with his sons is Eli knew about it the whole time and did nothing. And so now God comes to him and he says, not only is there going to be judgment on your sons, there's going to be judgment on you. He had told him that. 
And now listen, that, that's what happened before. Now God comes to Samuel, and listen, God calls Samuel as a prophet, and his very first assignment as a prophet is to go tell Eli the time for judgment has come. Could you imagine for a moment you're a 12-year-old boy working for Eli, who's basically adopted you at the temple. So he's, he's like a father figure, and your first day on the job as a prophet is to go tell your father figure boss he's fired. This is what God calls Samuel to do. God says, I want you to go tell Eli that there's judgment coming and their family is going to be out. I mean, this would take courage. But even though this is the word that Samuel's given, he wasn't eager to go give it. In fact, in verse 15, it tells us that Samuel was afraid. He's up all night worried. What, what is, what's going to happen if I go to Eli and I tell him that there's this judgment coming? I mean, could you imagine that this is the person who's cared for you? This is the person who's loved you. And so Samuel is wrestling with the reality that he has to go tell the truth to someone he cares deeply about. Right? He's not eager, looking for an opportunity to, to you know, blast Eli and point out his faults. He, he's not one of those people that wants to drop a truth bomb just to see how big it, the explosion is. Right? He is eager, or he, he's not eager, he, he's, he's afraid, not eager. He's afraid. But what moves him? It's two things. It's obedience to the word of God, and it's love for Eli. It's both. It's, it's, it's the sense that God has spoken to me, and so I need to obey what he has said, and yet I'm doing it because I truly love Eli. And so he goes to him. Look at what happens in verse 17. It says, And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also to me, or and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he, that's Eli, said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. You catch that? Eli is saying, uh, you know, I don't want you to sugarcoat it. I don't want you to lie to me. Whatever God has told you for me, I want you to tell me because I want to receive it. In other words, here's a man who, for all his failures, he, he's not portrayed as, as a faithful priest. He, he's not portrayed as a good father. But for all his failures, there's this shining moment right now where he says, you know what? I want you to give me the truth. I want you to tell me the truth of what God is saying. And Samuel does. And when Eli receives it, he says, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. He's humble. He's humbled himself to the place to just receive what God is saying. See, what you see with this scene with Samuel and with Eli is you see both sides of what it looks like to engage God's word. You see in Samuel the sense that God's word calls us to speak truth. You see in Eli that God's word calls us to receive truth. Now, how do you do that? This is how you do it. Engaging the word means that it's going to require courage and humility. It's going to require both. If you're going to genuinely, honestly engage God's word, you're going to have to have courage and you're going to have to have humility. Because listen, speaking the truth in love requires courage. It's going to require courage because God, sometimes God's word is hard. We, we don't want to hear it. We don't want to say it. We, we don't want to be the person who has to go to someone else and bring the truth when we know it's going to be hard for them to hear 
Because we know some things are just hard for us. We're, we're not ready to talk about it. They're not ready to hear it. And so how do you overcome that fear? It's love. It's love. 1 John chapter 4 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. See, what happens in Samuel is it's, it's the love of God. It's, it's the word of God that's come to him that has filled him up to the place where he is now able to go speak the truth in love. Because he's so filled with the love of God for him, he's able to share the love of God with somebody else through his word. He's able to do that. But listen, if, if you're not in that place, if you haven't been filled with the love of God for yourself, if the word of God isn't working in you, you're probably not ready to then go share the word of God. Because instead of doing it out of love, you'll probably do it out of, man, I, I got to go. I got to go get this off my chest. I, I'm, I'm tired of feeling bad. I'm tired of feeling like I got to say something. I'm tired of feeling like I got to do this. And so you're probably going to come in hard and you're going to be harsh and mean and rude. And you might say things that are true, but they're not loving. How do you say things that are true and loving? It's when the love of God moves you past that fear and it fills you so that you can speak truth in love. But listen, receiving the truth in love, that requires humility. Because sometimes God's word is hard to speak, but sometimes it's even harder to receive. It's even harder. I mean, it can be hard to hear uh, what someone has to say for us because it's one thing to expose someone else. It's another thing to be exposed yourself. Right? It, it's, it's, if the word of God or the truth of God is only for other people and it's never for you, you got to ask yourself, do you really value the word? Do you really value the truth? If the truth is always for someone else and it's never for me. Now, how do you receive that kind of truth? How do you, how do, you do that? How do you invite that in? Well, he tells us right here. It's to, it's to listen, honestly. Eli says, tell me the truth. Tell me the truth. I, I, I don't want you to sugarcoat it. I don't want you to lie to me. I want you to tell me, and I'm going to listen. You have to invite someone in to say, this is what's really true. And when they tell you the truth, it doesn't mean you know, that it's, it's God-inspired you know, God truth because they said it out of their mouth. It just means you need to listen. And, and whatever they say that is true, that matches up with Scripture, you need to be willing to say, this, this might be for me. This might be what God is saying for me in this moment. I need to listen. I need to humble myself. I need to be aware that God might be using this person to speak to me through his word, through his word. And so it's both speaking and it's receiving. Now, how do you do that? How do, how do you live those out? Uh, well, there's a lot of ways you can do that. But one of the ways that God's designed it to work is through community. It's through community, Right. And we, in other words, you can't speak and listen by yourself. If you're doing that, you need to go see a, a therapist. You, if, if you're speaking and listening by yourself in a room with no one else, you, you need other people. You need other community. You need other believers that can that can speak to you, and you need other believers that you can speak to. You you need these people in your life, and the way we do that at Strong Tower primarily is through what we call connect groups. Right? And, and this is a shameless plug because we're about to have connect group signups, I think, beginning next week. There you go. There, there, there's some groups that are proud of their groups. Uh, but, but listen, 
If you're in our church and you don't have community, if you don't have believers that you can go to and say, I need you to be honest with me. I need you to speak truth in my life in love. And I, and I, need, a, I need a place where God can use me to speak truth in love. If you don't have a place like that, you're not going to be able to thrive as a Christian. You're just not going to be able to have a healthy Christian life if you're by yourself and your engagement with the Word of God is not with the community. It's not with the people of God. The way God designed His Word was to be given to the people of God. It's for us. It's for all of us to live in this way of love, to, to speak and to receive, to speak and to receive. And so I'd encourage you, if you're calling Strong Tower home, or maybe you've been here for a little while and you're trying to figure out if this is the place for you, you got to find a connect group. you got to find a group of people that you can be living in that kind of community. And we've got men's groups, women's groups, co-ed groups. we got groups that meet in the evening, the morning, whatever. But you need to find a place that you can live out the Word of God and engage it in community. Engage in community. And listen, when we truly engage the Word with courage and humility, we come to know the Word fully. And this is the last point, knowing the Word. Knowing the Word. Look at how the scene closes in verse 19. It says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. Now, what's incredible there is this, this scene has moved now from Samuel as a boy to Samuel as a prophet, right? And it says that all of Israel has accepted him as a prophet. It says from Dan to Beersheba, which Dan was the farthest north. Beersheba is down to the farthest south. And so all the people have now acknowledged there is a prophet in Israel. The word of God has come to his people. I mean, again, this is, this is why we plant churches, because, you know, we, we have a vision that we want to see all of Polk County covered in churches. We want the Word of God to cover from Kathleen down to Frostproof, right? We, we want the whole county covered in the Word of God, because the Word of God is what brings renewal. But there's actually more happening in the text. What's happening in the text is Samuel is being described for the, the past few chapters, really, in his growth. Look back to chapter 2, verse 21. It says, the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. In, in chapter 2, 26, it says, the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and favor with the Lord and also with man. And now in chapter 3, verse 19, and Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. You catch that three times the narrator's telling us Samuel grew and he grew and he grew and now he's grown. What's happening is the narrator is telling us Samuel is becoming the person that God has called to bring his word. But the way he describes him, describes him as pointing towards another prophet who would come. He describes him in such a way that, that it points towards a true and better prophet that would be like Samuel, but be greater. It would be another person who would come and be a word bearer who would be described very similarly. If you go to Luke chapter 2, uh, we find Mary and Joseph, the, the parents of Jesus at the temple, just like Samuel was at the temple. And here's Jesus at the temple in Luke chapter 2. He's engaging in the word of God. And, and Jesus, Luke points out, is described as being a 12-year-old boy. And in fact, Luke describes him like this. He says, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. It's a quote from 1 Samuel chapter 2. 
So Luke is pointing us towards Samuel's story is, is parallel with Jesus' story. Jesus is growing up in the tradition of Samuel, but there's something different. Did you notice it? Jesus, if you ever heard the story, he's at the temple. He's engaging with all the teachers, and they realize this young boy knows the word. This young boy, he, he's not like Samuel, where Samuel, it says in, in, in chapter 3, that, that he didn't yet know the Lord. He, he was trying to discern the Lord's voice. He's trying to figure out who's talking to me. Is this Eli? Is this God? Who is this? But Jesus knew the Lord. Yes, yes. Jesus wasn't like Samuel who just came to share the word. Jesus was the word. Yes. Jesus was the fulfillment because he was the word become flesh. He's the word who came to walk among us, who put on flesh. So Samuel spoke the word, but Jesus was the word because God speaks fully and finally in Jesus. It's his final word. The book of Hebrews says it this way. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, by his son, in other words, what Hebrews is saying is we don't, we don't need another prophet like Samuel. We don't, we don't need anyone else to come and bring us the word because the word has already come among us. God has spoken to us in his son. His word has walked among us. He walked in the courage of perfect obedience. Jesus only and always obeyed the voice of his father. Where, he, or where we failed, he was faithful. Where we were corrupt, he was faithful. Where we were ignorant, he was faithful. He was obedient to the point of death itself. Says, right? His courage led him to his humble death on the cross, where with all humility, he submits to his father's redemptive plan. He would bear the weight of all our sin. He would bear the cost of all our shame. Jesus receives what we deserve so that God could speak over us what he deserves. That's the good news of the gospel. Listen, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. Our sin speaks condemnation, but the cross speaks redemption. That's the word of the cross. In Christ, God declares over you, you are justified. You are righteous. You are beloved. You are mine, and I am yours. That's the good news. A word that transforms our future for eternity. A word that forgives, that heals, that reconciles, that makes new. Jesus is God's full and final word. His full and final word. God has spoken. His word is precious. And so we cry out, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Speak, Lord. Speak that better word over my life. Because it's your word that will bring renewal. It's your word that will bring restoration. It's your word that will change every chaos in my life. Because it's your word that has power. Do you need the word of God to change you this morning? To transform you? Because God has come and spoken in his son, Jesus. He has come already. And what does it look like to receive this word? It takes courage and humility. It's the courage to confess my sin, to say what's true. That, that's what confession means. It's to say the same thing. Do you know that? In other words, God has said this is what's true. Confession is just agreeing with him. That this is what's true about me. I am a sinner in need of God's redemptive grace. And it can only happen in Christ. And so I have to have the courage to say that, but I have to have the humility to say, I can only trust him to save me. 
I'm putting all my faith in Jesus. And when I have the courage to confess and the humility to believe, the word of God transforms. It's the power of God to save because it's Jesus's blood. It's Jesus's word that speaks over us. And he can pronounce over you, you are mine. Not because of your works, not because of your efforts, because of my works, because of my life in place of your life. God has spoken. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you speak to us. What a miracle. What a miracle that the God of eternity steps into our life and speaks. Everything that we see, you spoke. Everything we hear, you spoke into existence. Everything that we anticipate in the future that you will do comes from your word. You are a God who speaks and out of your words come all life. And so God, we ask that you would speak this morning by your spirit. Speak to our hearts, our minds, where there's fear or pride, arrogance, unrepentant sin, anxiety, whatever it may be in our hearts, Lord, that that we're afraid. We're afraid of what your word might mean for us and what it might mean for other people. Lord, may you speak by your spirit to give us the courage and humility to truly engage your word, that your word might bring about life, that it cuts like a double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, but it brings life. So God, we ask that your word would do its work by the power of your spirit for the glory of Christ.